Are you there? Second Corinthians chapter one, verses eight through eleven. The title of this morning's message is "Processing Our Pain." Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word. Lord, heaven and earth will pass away, but your word by no means will pass away. And I thank you. And don't take for granted this opportunity. I ask for you to minister grace to the hearers, Lord. And we, as your people, Lord, we purpose in our hearts to receive the engrafted words, which is able to save our souls. And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. By way of introduction, let me give you a little bit of background so we can anchor these uh, verses in a, on a firm con contextual foundation. This letter is a follow-up letter to 1 Corinthians. Paul had rebuked the church very sternly, and then he heard news that the majority had repented and that a minority had rebelled due to false teachers. So he writes this second letter to express his gratitude to those who had repented and to appeal to those who had rebelled. After he introduces himself in his customary Pauline fashion, he begins this letter by talking about consolation and comfort that is available to us in Christ. He does this for two reasons. One, because he wants to inform them that there is comfort, that there is consolation available to them in Christ. He wants them to know that there is comfort in the middle of their pain. And number two, he wants them to know that comfort and consolation with him is not just theology. It's not just an academic exercise with him. He wants them to know that the word has actually been made flesh. He speaks from a place of experience. Therefore, as we study these few verses together, I want to share with you Four things that will help us process our pain. And to help us remember those, I have alliterated them all with P's. And so, having said all that, let's begin our reading there in verse number 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul says that he was burdened beyond measure, uh, above measure and beyond strength. The old King James Version actually uses the word pressed out of measure. It is the Greek phrase katabareo, and it speaks of pressing down or pushing it down in a downward motion. Some commentary writers actually use the word affliction to explain this phrase. And what Paul was saying is that, listen, there is no measuring device that we can use to explain the amount of pressure we were under. 
There is no metric available to quantify pain. He says, I was pressed out of measure and beyond strength. That's pressure. That's strength, stress. That's pain. Paul was saying, I cannot explain to you with human terms the amount of stress and pressure and pain I was under. It's very difficult to quantify pain. As uh, many of you know, uh, my former wife passed away a few uh, years ago, and uh, during the last uh, 14 to 16 hours of her life, um, I was in the hospital. I remember getting the call around 11 o'clock at night. The nurse called me. He says, listen, I just looked at your wife's labs. You need to hang up the phone, call 911, and get her in the ambulance and get her to the hospital because she is not going to make it through the night. And from that point on, I began on this journey of praying and, and playing scriptures and playing worship music and just believing God that somehow, by some miracle, she was going to come out of this. God was going to show up and heal her. And I tell you unequivocally, those were the most stressful, painful, pressure-filled 16 hours of my life. And she passed away 16 hours later. But if you were to ask me to put it in a metric to quantify for it for you, I would not be able to do it. And this is what Paul is talking about here. And so we do ourselves a disservice when we try to quantify pain. And so we see here that one of the first things that Paul does is that he is honest about his struggle. He is honest about his pain. Oh, my brothers and sisters, if we're going to navigate through the turbulent waters of pain, we need to accept that pain is a part of the journey. This brings us to our first P, peace with pain. Pain Stress, pressure, anxiety is no respecter of person. Pain, stress, and pressure is no respecter of culture. Pain doesn't discriminate. Pain doesn't care if you're Hispanic, black, white. Pain doesn't care if you are married or single. Pain doesn't care if you are the boss or the employee. Pain doesn't care if you are a pastor or a recent convert. Pain comes to us all. Much like the great Apostle Paul, many of you are no strangers to pain. I am no stranger to pain either. Uh, when I married my former wife in 1995, the first five years of our marriage were very, very difficult. And we had to go to marriage counselors, and we had to go to marriage conferences, and we had to read books on marriage, and we went to small groups about marriage. But we did whatever it took to have a healthy marriage. 
And uh, the, I can tell you the last 15, 10, 15 years of our marriage, we had a healthy marriage, but we had to work at it. But in the middle of all that, we struggled with infertility for 10 years. For 10 years, we were trying to have a baby. And finally, after 10 years, we, uh, God blessed us with enough money to do in vitro. And after uh, four failed in vitro tries, we, we finally got pregnant only to have a stillborn baby after five months, which is buried in uh, Dallas, Texas. And then we tried again and only to have a baby born four months premature, uh, just under a pound, ten and a half inches, which is sitting here today, um, only uh, for, for the doctors to tell us that uh, he will never walk and that he would never talk and that he would never speak. And he's, he's been diagnosed with ADHD and uh, cerebral palsy and he's been diagnosed uh, with autism and he's having to see all these specialists. And in the middle of that, I take care of my father also who's been diagnosed with neurological disorders and has to, has to deal with the host of other illnesses and see specialists. And finally, in the middle of all that, while I am working full time in the ministry, my wife gets cancer and she passes away two years later. I shared all these things not because I want you to think that I am a martyr. I'm not sharing all these things because I want your sympathy. I'm not sharing all these things because I am trying to impress you with all the things that I have been through. I'm sharing all these things with you to let you know that through it all, God has been good to me. I share these things with you to let you know that through all these things, God has been gracious to me. I share these things because in some way I want you to be encouraged by my journey. In verse 4 of this same chapter, the Apostle Paul says that we are to comfort others with the same comfort that we are comforted with by Christ. And so I wanted to share these things with you. And I can truly testify today, along with David the psalmist, that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but out of all of them, the Lord will deliver them. In his graciousness, God has allowed me to learn some things about pain. And I want to share some of those things with you today. God has taught me that there are different kinds of pain. There is the pain of a loss of a job. There is the pain of broken relationships. There is the pain of death. There is the pain of failure. There is the pain of infertility. There is the pain of joblessness. There is the pain of having a bad job. There is the pain of not having enough money. There is the pain of addiction. There is the pain of stress. There is the pain of a loveless marriage. There is the pain of be not having a moment to yourself. There is the pain of divorce. And there is the pain of life after divorce. God has also allowed me to see that pain 
does not ask for permission to come into our lives. Pain doesn't make an appointment. Pain has no timeline for how long it will come and how long it will stay. I have learned that pain does not respect boundaries. It comes and it goes as it pleases. But I have also learned that pain is an entrustment. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 uh, declares this, For unto you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Now, I don't know how that strikes you. But when someone says, for unto you it has been granted, the next thing that I expect to come out of their mouth is a million dollars. For unto you it has been granted this blessing. For unto you it has been granted this opportunity. For unto you it has been granted in Bob Barker-like fashion, a brand new house. (laughs) But what I don't expect for them to say is for unto you it has been granted on behalf of Christ to suffer for his sake. And so it dawns on me as I read that scripture that suffering is not only an entrustment, something that God entrusts us with so that we can manage. And since we all have pain, uh, God expects us to manage that pain in a godly way. Which leads me to the question, by the way, I'm going to warn you, I'm one of those preachers that ask a lot of rhetorical questions. How do you manage pain? When pain comes your way, do you see it as an opportunity for you to glorify God? Or do you see it as something that you need to escape immediately? So you see, pain is not only an entrustment, but pain in some way is a gift. And so in order to begin this journey successfully, we must accept that pain is part of the journey. The last part of verse 8 also informs us that Paul and his companions despaired even of life. He doesn't think he's going to make it. They didn't think they were going to make it. He accepts the fact that he might die as a result of this persecution, as a result of this tribulation, as a result of this affliction. And This is me personally. I believe that Paul went through this exercise in his mind. He says, I I may not make it out of this. And so I may may need to make peace with the idea uh, that I am going to to die. But uh, if I die, for me to live is Christ and to die is a gain. He made peace. With pain. He not only acknowledged that pain is part of the journey, he made peace with the idea that it might happen. 
If we are going to navigate through the sufferings of this life, we must make peace with the idea of pain. This could happen. This has happened. Now, I didn't say you have to like it. I didn't say you have to agree with it. I didn't say it would be convenient or easy. I just said you have to accept it and make peace with it. If we're going to process pain in a healthy way, we must make peace with the idea of pain and loss. I have spoken to uh, many people who struggled uh, with painful memories. And, and the reason they struggled is because they never could bring themselves to a place where they accepted that this terrible event happened to them. And therefore, uh, they stayed stuck in their pain for years and years and years. Paul goes on in verse 9 to say this, Yes, we had this sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. After he makes peace with the idea of pain, he is also able to understand the purpose of pain. He says, this happened to us so that we can trust in God and not in ourselves. The purpose of his affliction was to bring him into a deeper place of trust, which brings us to our second P, the purpose of pain. This verse highlights two of the purposes of pain, and certainly they are not the only purposes of pain, but for the sake of time, we'll address these two. The first purpose we see here is to remind us not to trust in ourselves, but in God. When we go through pain, we must ask ourselves, am I trusting in God or am I trusting in myself? But instead, when we go through pain, what we often ask ourselves is, how can I trust God in the middle of my pain? Instead, what we ask ourselves, how can I trust God when my circumstances are saying that I am not going to make it? How can I trust God when it seems like God doesn't care? How can I trust God when everything looks like he has abandoned me? How can I trust God when I feel like he doesn't hear me? How can I trust God when everything around me says, where is your God? How can I trust God in the middle of this mess? Why trust God? Yet, we must trust in God and not in our own assessments. For God is faithful and God is worthy to be trusted. There are some things we can do to help us trust God. Let me give you a few of those things you can do. Number one, 
choose to trust God. In Psalm 56, verse 3, David declares, what time I am afraid, I will trust in him. What time I am afraid, I will, and the Tito translation says, choose to trust in him. We choose to trust God in the middle of our pain. Number two, when we are going through pain, uh, we choose to focus on God. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, declares these words. He will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. When we choose to trust in him and we choose to make it about him, there is a peace that comes to us as a result of trusting him. This is important because when we don't make it about God, we can experience what I call the disappointment of trust. I trusted God to do this, but God didn't do it. I believed God to do this and it didn't happen. I trusted God to open this door, but it was closed. I trusted God uh, that he would uh, deal with my spouse, and he hasn't yet. And when we don't make it about God, and we make it uh, about the situation, and we make it about our assessments, we run the risk of experiencing the disappointment of trust. Oh, the apostles in the uh, New Testament and the church in the, New, and the, and the early first century were no different than us. Uh, three of Jesus' closest friends were uh, Peter, James, and John. And uh, early on, in the, uh, as the church grew, James was killed. The prophet Elijah, who was so powerful and trusted God, he died of a sickness. And so we see that as we go through the pains of life, as we go through the stresses of life, as we go through the anxieties of life, the trials of life, the things that seem to overwhelm us, we need to make it about God and not about us. We need to make it about him and not about our pain and our difficulty. I had to get to a place where I made it about God. The first uh, few years as I was discovering that uh, my son had developmental delays and that I was going to be visiting specialists and doctors and dealing with uh, medications, I was really disappointed because I was believing God to just heal him and just that he was going to be as normal as every other kid. And I still pray that prayer today. And I'm still believing God today. But I had to make it about God. This precious 13-year-old boy is a gift to me. He's a blessing to me. He's not a disappointment. He's not an error. He's not a mistake. He's not something that God put on me to punish me or because he doesn't like me. He's God's gift to me. I had to accept the same thing about the passing of my wife. When my wife passed, I have to tell you, I was very upset. 
I would, is it okay if I'm real with you? I was very angry. I don't know if there wasn't anybody I wasn't angry. I was angry at the doctors. I was angry at the people. I, I was angry. Because my wife, she was a very godly woman. She, she loved the Lord. God has blessed me with having the opportunity to be married to two godly women. Legally, by the way. <laughs> I didn't leave one and marry her. I just Because I know this is recorded. She passed, we courted, we dated, and boom. Been married to two godly women. And so I remember praying after I got home because I was still in shock that she had passed. And I'm going to use the same exact words that I used in my conversation with God. Is that okay? God, this is jacked up. I don't like this. Why did, why did you take her? If anybody deserved to be healed, it was her. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. But because you allowed it, I will accept it and make peace with it. Not my will, but your will be done. See, God is not intimidated by our emotions. God is not intimidated by our humanity. As long as we get to that part where we say, I'll make peace with it. I'll accept it. And not my will, but your will be done. And so one, choose to trust Two, choose to focus on the pain. Three, remind yourself that there is safety and stability in trust. Psalm 125 verses 1 and 2 declares this. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Like Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains, so the Lord surrounds those who trust in him. Mountains are stable. Mountains are strong. And the verse teaches us that when we trust in God, we're trusting in something stable. We're trusting in something strong. And he's actually surrounding us like the mountains surround Jerusalem. But verse 9 not only teaches us to trust in God, it also reminds us of the hope that we have in Christ. The resurrection from the dead. For the verse says that we should not trust in ourselves, but in Christ who raises the dead. Oh, and I have to ask you today, have you put your trust in Christ? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Is your trust in the resurrected Christ? The Bible teaches us that all men are born sinners, for there is none righteous, no, not one. And therefore, God sent his only begotten son uh, to take the penalty for our sin because we in and of ourselves cannot meet the righteous requirements of God. God is holy and God is perfect and we are sinful. We are born with this thing called sin. And so God sent his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And he was buried and placed in a tomb and rose on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God where one day he will come back. Have you trusted that? Have you, have you prayed that prayer? Have you, do you, have you placed your trust in the resurrected Christ? 
I didn't ask you if you've been coming to church for a long time. I didn't ask you if your parents were Christians or if you can trace your lineage all the way back to your great-grandparents. I've asked you, have you repented of your sins? Have you acknowledged that you are a sinner and need of a Savior and place your faith on the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross? To be delivered from our sins and from the judgment, we must place our faith in the resurrected Christ. Which brings us to verse 10 where we read, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust he will still deliver us. And this verse highlights the third P, the power of pain. Paul says, God delivered us and still will deliver us. He acknowledges that he will need deliverance again sometime in the future. When we began this verse, in verse 8, the Apostle Paul said, we despaired even of life itself. And then he moves from there to trusting in God and not himself. And now he's at a place where he says, listen, God not only delivered me, but he will deliver me again. Here we see Paul's growth. We see his maturity. We see his development. He experienced the strength that comes from walking through the pain. He senses the power in his walk that comes as a result of trusting God through the pain. And years later, he's able to write to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 and say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul acknowledges that there is a fellowship, there is a growth, there is a, a, an intimacy that we develop with Christ as we are walking through the pain, as we are walking through the suffering, as we are walking through the stress and the anxiety and the pressures of this life. As we trust him in the middle of that, there is a closeness and intimacy, a power that comes as a result of that. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Does the pain draw you closer to God or push you away from God? Does your pain make you trust God or question God? Does your pain make you better or it make you bitter? You see, one of the things that we have to understand is that the pinnacle of the Christian experience is not when we are here in the middle of praise and worship and, and uh, we sense the presence of God and it was so beautiful as we sense the presence of God and we sing here, but that is not the height or the pinnacle of the Christian experience. The pinnacle of the Christian experience is when life is crucifying you and you can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the height 
of the Christian experience. The interesting thing is that we not only experience power and pain, but we begin to understand the process of pain. Paul said, he delivered me and still will deliver me. God is faithful to give us his grace to walk through the pain. And he's also faithful to give us times of reprieve from the pain. However, it is important for us to know that we go through cycles of pain, cycles of stress, cycles of pressure, cycles of anxiety, till we all come to a perfect man, to the stature of the measure of the fullness of Christ. Psalm 119 verse 67 says it this way, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statues. In order to learn to glean power from the pain we go through, we must understand that we go through the process of pain. This can be a very difficult and re reoccurring theme in our lives. But Jesus did say, in this world, you will have tribulation. When we go through the cycles of pain, we develop power to live from our pain. Let's read verse 11 and then we'll close. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul recognizes that the prayers of the saints have power. He also understands that when God delivered him, it would cause many to give thanks because many prayed. Therefore, God will get the glory from his people. This is one of the reasons it is important to have prayer in our pain. And this is the fourth and final P. We must have prayer in our pain. There must be prayer as we are walking through the pain. We must be people of prayer. When we don't pray, we will fail. But let, let us never fail to pray. We must remind ourselves that prayer brings perspective. Like when Jesus was praying on top of Cornelius' house, he, un, he began to understand later on that God was going to move amongst the Gentiles. We must understand that when we pray, prayer brings confidence. First uh, John tells us this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Ezra teaches us that prayer brings protection. And this is one of the things that I like most about prayer. Prayer releases God's grace. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 declares these words. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need.
The prayers of the church are powerful. I was so touched because by seeing this church on Facebook gather together praying because the prayers of the church are powerful. In Acts chapter 4, when the church gathered together to pray, the Bible says that the, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the place where they were assembled shook. In Acts chapter, Act chapter 12, when the church prayed, a Peter was released supernaturally from pre- prison. Therefore, we must have prayer in our pain. After my wife passed, people would ask me, well, Pastor Tito, how are you doing? And I would say, it's kind of difficult to explain because it's almost like I sense the prayers of the people are with me. I sense this supernatural sense of grace and comfort and consolation And I know that's because the church was praying for me. 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us this, that we are stewards or managers of the manifold or multifaceted is a better word. Stewards or managers of the multifaceted grace of God. God's grace works in our life in so many different ways. Sometimes it brings comfort. Sometimes it heals our heart. Sometimes it changes us or convicts us. There are times it empowers us. And so I'd like to close this service. I usually, in my conclusion, recap the four Ps, but I'm not going to do that this morning. What I'd like to do is this. As the uh, worship team comes, I'd like you to stand with me. And... If you have been going through pain, I want you to come forward. We're going to have a time of prayer. If you have been struggling to manage your pain, I want you to come forward. And uh, to the elders and and Pastor Tim, as as the people are gathered here, uh, feel free to pray as the Lord leads you. Uh, feel free to, to lay hands on, uh, on people, but I want us to gather. And another, another way I want you to pray, if you're not in pain or you're not struggling to process pain, I want you to get someone in your mind whom you know needs healing from pain or is struggling with pain. And I want you to come and stand and pray for them. I'd like for us to pray as a church together around the altar. Is that okay? I know it's kind of old school, And blame the Pentecostals for that because they ruined me. But I want you to come. If you're in pain, you're struggling to process your pain, or you know someone who is in pain. Because the prayers of the church are powerful. And and if uh, elders or pastors, if you want to take part of this, don't feel like you have to lay hands. This is for all of us as a church. I came to be a blessing to you. I came because I want to pray for you. Because this is a great church. This is a powerful church. And I want to see God today release his grace in your life in a very special and unique way. So come. 
come and we're going to pray.